Of course, you've heard the story of the old guy that was fishing, I expect. And he hears this little voice while he's fishing. And the voice said, pick me up, pick me up. He looks around, can't see anything. Pick me up, pick me up. And then he sees a frog. He picks up the frog and the frog says, I'm not actually a frog. I'm actually a beautiful princess. And if you kiss me, I'm a blonde. I'm a great dancer. I'm a great lover. I'm a great cook. I'm a great friend. I'm a great companion. Just kiss me. Puts the frog in his top pocket. He hears the voice again. Let me out. Let me out. Picks out the frog. Didn't you hear me? I said, kiss me. I'm a princess. I'm a blonde. I'm beautiful. I'm a great companion. I'm a great lover. I'm a great cook. I'm a great friend. Just kiss me. Puts her back in. He said, at my age, I think I'd rather have a talking frog. Now I've got your attention. You see, some people don't want to take risks. Some people just stay stuck in the old ways. And what we're reading and been listening to over a few weeks is about people who were not afraid to walk through a wilderness, really, and look at the opportunities that had presented themselves. And we are going to look today at the book of Numbers, and it's been allocated to me, chapter 11. So, without further ado, let's put up where we are going today. The book of Numbers, the meaningful story of wandering Hebrew people caught in transition between slavery and freedom. And we've heard that a lot since we've heard Ross and Craig preaching, catching between slavery and freedom. They're set free, but then they can't walk in that freedom. There's not a realisation of it. They fled Egypt, and God's people are seeking the permanent homeland of their dreams. Reality interferes with their goal. How many of you found that out? Reality can interfere with the goal as they face the crisis and trials of a nomadic life under Moses' leadership. It's an amazing story. Now, this is the Numbers chapter 11. Perhaps, perhaps I'll give an illustration or two so you can guess what Numbers chapter 11 is all about. Rather than tell you, I'll do a little role play. That car park, I used to come in here years ago and park anywhere I wanted. Now they've got people who say, come and come, and they say, stop, and I've got to stop. And they've got painted lines. Everything is in order. I wish it was like it was in the past. These people say, stop. They go all around. I can only drive out one way. And Cafe Versus, the scones, they're like they've been forever. Those old scones, all the scones there. Oh, I wish I could go back to what I had at Encore with the Lemmingtons, the chocolate, the Clares, the, oh, what's that all about? Murmuring. What's Numbers 11 about? Murmuring. Numbers 11 is about the people of God who were caught up in such murmuring that it withheld, that held them back from all that God wanted them to do. Now, let's talk about the book of Numbers. This is uh, Numbers 11 is in the second year and the people of Israel had been with Moses and they'd been camped around Sinai and lots of things had happened. They'd received uh, the word of the Lord, the commandments from God, the people of Israel and their tribes 
had been allocated, where they were to be placed. The tabernacle had been built. Much activity over several months. It's nearly time to move on the journey that was to take them from Sinai to the borders of Canaan. It's not just a little group. There's about two and a half million people plus the animals. Now the distance and the time taken to go from where they were at Sinai to the border of Canaan is recorded in Scripture as being 11 days. It's an 11-day journey. That's for just one person who's walking. But we have two and a half million people. It's going to take two or three weeks. And the reason we know that there's two and a half million people is because why the book is called Numbers. In chapter 1, in chapter 1 of Numbers, Moses is directed by God to number the men over 20 years of age. They were looking to see who was in the army. And they numbered, I think it's 603,550 men over 20 years of age. And you put that all together, and there's about two and a half million people. And the area that the tribes were around the tabernacle is about 30 square kilometres. So we have a mass of people who are going to move. And they're getting excited. The time is coming. The move is on. You know the story as well as I do. Unfortunately, it's not only called numbers. Those who were in the know began to call it wandering in the wilderness because that's what was happening to the people of God. Wandering in the wilderness. And the reason they were wandering in the wilderness is that they moaned, they grizzled, they griped, and they failed to embrace all that God was doing and about to do in their lives. Very interesting story. Very interesting story. It's been said that it took only 40 hours to get Israel out of Egypt. The Passover, crossing the Red Sea, it was about 40 hours to get Israel out of Egypt. And then it was nearly 40 years to what? To get Egypt out of Israel. And they struggled on that journey. Now I'm going to read there's several verses. It's quite a few verses to read. And uh, please... Don't wait for me. What sometimes happens, if scriptures go up, they'll say, oh, well, I'll wait to hear what he's got to say about it. You have the Holy Spirit in you. Say, God, talk to me this morning. Look at the scriptures and don't wait for me to bring some interpretation, but say, Lord, by your spirit, what do you want to talk to me about today from the word of God? Here we go. The book of Numbers, chapter 11. The rabble with them. Now, we just got to touch on one word, the rabble. That's, uh, in other translations, it's called the mixed multitude or the hangers-on. The, uh, Israel did not only have the people of God, but they had people who wanted to leave Egypt at the same time. Some were from mixed marriages. Some were from other groups and ethnic groups of people. They wanted to get away from the, uh, the, uh, uh, from the problems and the burdens in Egypt. They'd heard of a promised land. They'd made friends. And so not only were the people of Israel moving, but there were a mixed multitude, a group of others, who journeyed with them but did not know their God. And there were a whole lot of problems as a result of it. You know, this, this is marvellously open for application because there may be some of you here that are journeying with people who are the people of God, but you've never made that commitment. Boy, it's quiet in here. But it's got marvellous application because while the people of Israel were attempting to move and follow God, it's the ones that travelled with them that did not know God that were causing much of the difficulty. Okay, on we go. 
the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like a coriander seed, looked like resin. The people went around gathering it. They ground it in a hand mill, crushed it in mortar. They cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes and it tasted something like olive oil. And when the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you've put the burden of these people on me? Did I? Oh, it doesn't take long when a few people start grumbling for it to move through a movement. True? True. The people that never knew God started the grumbling. The people of Israel picked it up. And now Moses, the leader, has it. And did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their forefathers? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found favour in your eyes, spare me this misery. Well, the scripture goes on. The Lord said to Moses, God is responding to Moses' cry. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you and I'll come down and speak with you there and I'll take the spirit that's on you and put the spirit on them and they will help you carry the burden of the people so you do not have to carry it alone. God has got a word for Moses, but he's also got a word for the people that are involved in the difficulty causing the problem. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, then you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. Uh -huh. You will eat it not just for one day or two or five or 10 or 20, but for a whole month until it comes out your nostrils and you loathe it. Like God got a bit of a sense of humour perhaps and you loathe it because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? And the story goes on, of course. But Moses said, again complaining to God, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough for flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out, told the people what the Lord had said, and he brought together 70 of their elders, had them stand around the tent, and then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. He took the spirit that was on Moses, put the spirit on the 70 elders, and when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. Boy, there's a whole lot in there. Let's, let's unpack it a little. Let's break it open a little, and let's see the story, the story so far. Let's allocate to the individuals involved in the story so far. How's my battery here, guys? 
Here we go. All right. The people's problem. The rabble with them, the mixed multitude with the people of God, began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Oh, we remember what we had. The people's problem is grumbling. Grumbling. I looked on the internet to see what I could see about grumbling. I found a great poem. In country, town or city, some people can be found who spend their lives in grumbling at everything around. They grumble, 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 no matter what we say, for these are chronic grumblers and they grumble night and day. They grumble when it's windy, they grumble when it's dry, and if a little chilly, and they grumble and they sigh. They grumble at the preacher, they grumble at his prayer, they grumble at the offering and they grumble everywhere. Seems most people annoy them and they won't look eye to eye. They're just continual grumblers. I think they'll grumble till they die. Who knows grumblers? Put your hand up. Who's a grumbler and I'm speaking to you right now? <laughs> no, you're not. People's problem. Well, let's go on. Let's go on. Now Moses, Moses, he gets very interesting here because Moses' attitude is self-pity. Moses comes to God with nine, nine questions. He's got nine statements here. Look, Moses heard the people wailing and the Moses was troubled. Moses was troubled. So he said to the Lord, why have you brought this on your servant? What have I done to displease you? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me why? Why, 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 why? We read it. Well, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, God has a reply. Clear direction. Very clear direction. God has a reply. His desire is to take these people from where they are on the journey to where he wants them to be and where they really want to be themselves, but they don't know it. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting and I'll come down and speak to you. I'll take the spirit that's on you and I'll put the spirit on them and they will help you carry the burden of the people so you will not have to carry it alone. And then he's got a word for the people. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. Now you know what the next verse says. I think that God is probably the inventor of the good news, bad news story. You know the good news, bad news story? The pilot comes on in the aircraft, welcome aboard SQ-1 to Singapore. Good news and bad news. The bad news is that our GPS system has failed, our satellite backup system has failed, and we have no idea where we are. The good news is we're making excellent time. Yeah? And I, I, think, uh, I think God might have invented that. The Lord heard you, if only we had meat to eat. Oh, well, God gives a repast here. You will not just eat it for one day or two, five, ten or twenty, but for a whole month, and it will come out your nostrils. Goodness me. Convincing application. Convincing application. And then Moses comes back again. I love this dialogue when you open the Scriptures up and this dialogue that's taking place. So Moses, he's heard from God, but look, he's picked it up. He's picked up this grumbling still. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say, I'll give them enough meat to eat for a month. 
goodness gracious me, would they have enough if I killed all the flocks around and caught all the fish? No, not at all. But God comes back with a great statement. And uh, if you've never recorded the statement in your Bible, it's a great statement to underline. And the Lord said, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. Do you think that's a good statement? Good statement to underline. When you're struggling in some circumstance, how wonderful that you can say, here's a passage of scripture that I can put my trust in. Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come to pass. And so we've gone through that passage of scripture and we have an indication of what has been said. Now, what I really want to touch on in the time that we have is I see there are three necessities on this journey of trust and faith. Here are these people. They've been struggling with what's taken place. The grumblers have caused all sorts of problems. And looking at this from a practical point of view, I can see three things that will help them on their journey and it will help us. And the reason I say it will help us is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Paul makes that statement we all know. The things that happen to people in the Old Testament are written and recorded for us who are living today because we can learn from them. Who's ever read that scripture? See? Anything that you read that's taken place in the Old Testament is applicable for you and I today. Because when you look at the Scriptures, the Scriptures have not only primary interpretation, but Scriptures have a secondary application. Scriptures have a primary interpretation. This was written for this circumstance. And as you read it, God may quicken you by His Spirit. You're going through a difficulty. You read a story about how some people of God began to move forward out of their difficulty. And as you're reading the Scripture, that little voice in your heart goes, da-da, da-da. Who's ever heard that? Da-da, da-da. That's the Spirit of God. And you're reading something that has a primary interpretation. It's written specifically for that event, but it has secondary application. And so the lesson that is learned is also a lesson that is applicable to us in the day in which we live. So here we go. Three. Here's the first one. Check out who's traveling with you on your journey of faith. Very important. The reason that Israel was struggling was because they had people traveling with them that were going along for the ride, but they did not have the vision and the passion for God, and it caused a whole lot of trouble. And that can happen in your life. I wrote a couple of practical comments down. I mean, the scripture is very clear. Again, Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked. And we take that primarily for marriage. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. The context is not to do with marriage. The context is a specific point of truth. And some interpretations say, don't team up with or don't be tied together with unbelievers because how can light live with darkness? And the people that we travel with can have an influence upon our lives. Very important. The people that your children are bringing home and the people that you are allowing your children to go and spend time with have an influence on their lives. It's who we journey with, who we journey with is going to have impact upon us. 
Oh, dare I say it? If you journey too much with TV. Now, of course, you've got to have it to see what the cricket score is in the football. Yeah, definitely you've got to have it for that sort of thing. But you've got to learn where the off switch is. Got to learn where the off switch is. I love the scripture. Philippians 4, Paul is writing, Brethren, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Does this sound like the telly you were watching last night? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy? Because if it's not, you're on a journey, you're on a journey with something that is going to pull you down rather than open your heart for the progress that's required. Very important. When I was looking at this passage of Scripture uh, about who we share our journey with, I've been speaking at the Serious Coffee and I've been talking on the book of Jonah. And I've been doing the classic preaching on the book of Jonah. There's Jonah. God should go this way. He goes this way. God said, I want you to go into Nineveh, what, 960 kilometres to the east. He goes and finds a boat going 3,500 kilometres to the west to a place called Tarshish. He's running from God. And of course, God deals with him. And we know the story of God dealing with Jonah. And eventually he comes and goes where God wants him to go. So I've preached a lot about Jonah. I've just realised since I started the study, that's a great story when you think about the poor sailors. Who's journeying with the sailors? Some dropout who's trying to avoid God. And where did the problems come from? Jonah. I mean, you imagine, here's the people, here's the people, they're getting ready to sail the boat. The sailors are putting on the wine and the, and the olives and the, all that sort of thing. Lovely day for sailing, going to take about a year to go to Tashis. Great. Oh, there's somebody coming on the boat. There's the captain talking to him. I wonder who that is. So as they're getting ready to throw, lift the anchor up, they say to the captain, oh, I see somebody's traveling with us. Who is it? He said, I don't know. Well, I mean, what do you mean you don't know? Well, he had the money. He wanted to go to Tashish. I took his money. And I think he's gone on board and gone down below to have a sleep. You mean you don't know who's traveling with us? No. Who cares? I tell you what. You'd better care who's traveling with you because Jonah upset the whole routine of that boat. All the problems that occurred had nothing to do with the sailors but everything to do with Jonah. I mean, it's four chapters, 48 verses. You can cut away two of them and cut them in half if you want to. The first two are where Jonah's got all sorts of trouble in his life and he's pulling the people down that he's traveling with. Who are you traveling with? Who are your kids traveling with? Very important. The mixed multitude started the complaining. The Israelites then joined them in complaining. And finally Moses heard and began complaining too. But what about the second thing I want to speak about? How to deal with grumbling. How to make progress. Keep an attitude of thankfulness for what God has done and is doing for you. I love one-liners. Have an attitude of gratitude. I love that. Have an attitude of gratitude. So what have we got here of thankfulness? Well, dissatisfaction comes when our attention shifts from what we have to what we don't have. Unfulfilled desires can cause us to forget God's gifts of life, food, health, work, and friends. And that's part of what Tilly does. 
tremendous dissatisfaction. Oh, I need that, I need that, I need that. Do you need it or do you want it? And is something causing you to grumble because you can't have? Difficulty. Oh, to be thankful, to be thankful. My, my friend is my and Graham uh, uh, here. They're the Christies. They come to Encore. Who comes to Encore? Anyone come to Encore? Do yourself a favour and come to uh, Encore. Uh, second Tuesday in the afternoon, I'll get a plug-in for that. And uh, I meet people at the door, and we get about 70 people come in, and they say to me, how are you, Jim? And I say, oh, good, thanks. Good, good, good. 70 times, good, good. Good, yeah, good, good. And when Graham came in, he said to me, in South Africa, he said, he said, I have a friend who told me something I'll tell you if you like. I said, tell me I'm teachable. Well, he said, when someone says, how are you? You can say, I'm well and grateful, thank you. Mm. Do you like that? I've never forgotten it. You should say it, well and grateful, thank you. One, two, three. It's so good, you should say it twice. One, two, three. Yeah. And rather than make some sort of pastoral statement, how wonderful to have something positive, which is affirmation, I'm moving forward. I'm well and I'm grateful. Oh, that's so important. Of course, the, uh, when I look out there, you all look so young. But uh, some of you might remember a song that we used to sing in 1960s uh, uh, from Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine. Who who sing that song? Anybody? Nobody. Oh, a few of you know that song. And we used to sing that song. And that song finishes up from the scripture. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. And I can remember at times when I was working through some difficulties in my life. And I start, you know, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no hurt on this, and I'm struggling with this in my home situation and this problem at work and that. Oh, it's wonderful to be able to confess these things out. Some of you might need to do that. Bring them out of you, the, the inside of your being and, and have a little song like that. Some of you might have problems. I mean, you, you've got to sing the first part, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and there be no fruit on the vine and my son is learning, learning singing from the Hare Krishnas and my, my uh, wife has got a library book on travel saying anywhere must be better than this. And you, you sort of, you can put there and then you say, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Paul touches on this particular statement. He said, be careful how you live not as fools, but those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity for doing good in evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. It'll ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. And that verse talks about redeeming the time. And it talks about making the most of opportunities and being filled with the Spirit of God. And verse 19 says, if you do these things, if we're, if we're keeping ourselves buoyant, buoyant, within our spirit in following God and redeeming the time and asking God to point us where we can exercise our gifts of service, then you will sing psalms and hymns and you will always give thanks to everything for God the Father. Oh, fantastic. And thirdly, three things that'll help us on our journey. Don't let grumblers be part of your crowd. Don't let moaners be part of who you're mixing with. Toss them off the boat. Let God deal with them. Don't you try to work it out. That's Jonah. 
And secondly, always be thankful. And thirdly, don't try to manipulate God by prayer or scheming to have him do what you want. Oh, man. I talk to young people a lot. I talk to young people. These girls of 18 saying, I'm on the shelf. Oh, I need a man. (laughs) Is he a Christian? No, but I'll be his personal missionary. (laughs) Get lost. Dreams are free. Here's a sad scripture. Why do I quote that? Look at the scripture. Psalm 106 gives a history of what has taken place of Israel. It talks about they came through the Red Sea and God opened doors of opportunity. And and Psalm 106, they believed God's word. They sang his praise. It's a great story of Israel being set free out of Egypt. But they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. They tempted God in the desert. It's the story of Israel in the psalm. And verse 15 has got to be the saddest verse in the Bible. Boy, I've, I've, I've seen this application in so many people's lives. They believed his works. They sang his praise. They soon forgot. They didn't wait for his counsel. They lusted exceedingly. And God gave them their request. But he sent leanness into their soul. And you can hang on and persuade and push, push, push. And it appears that the Spirit of God eases himself off that we go ahead and do what will only be an undoing for us in our Christian walk. People today are looking for immediate physical gratification instead of lasting spiritual satisfaction. I've got some closing comments. Here's the first one. What happened? What happened to these complainers? They're with Israel right the way through all the wilderness journey, nearly 40 years. And every now and then when some popped up, God dealt with them. And the ones that popped up moaning about the meat, oh, what, what we haven't got any. In your own time, read Numbers 11, 31 to 34. And it talks about how God provided quail for them. We saw that in the scripture reading. God provided food for them. The food was not provided in their camp. It was provided around the perimeters outside the camp. Very interesting. If you want God's best, you stay close to where the presence of God is. If you're going to be involved in lust, you'll have to drive yourself out there to get involved. Stay close to God and the security. The quail fell and those who lusted had to travel. And that's lust, to get involved in doing what was against the will of God. And here they are, and they ate, and for a month there was all sorts of food provided in the quail, eating great stuff, and then God smote them. God smote them. The graves of the craving, the Hebrew word for the place was named the graves of the craving, and the complainers all died. Complainers died. God has a fix to fix people with when they need fixing. And if we don't shape up and do what the scripture tells us and what practical application applies to us if we don't do it. We struggle. We struggle. But my closing comment is this one. I love this. There were two men in the camp, Eldad and Medad, who remained in the camp and they were listed among the elders, but they didn't go out to the tent. Remember the story we read that God said to Moses, bring the 70 elders out into the tabernacle, out into the tent, because I'm going to put the Holy Spirit that you have upon them. And so the people 
68 of them were able to make it. It looks like two somehow got held up. The 68 went to the recognised place where they were going to have that, un- that anointing given to them. But two of them, two of them, somehow or other, they ne- never got there. And a young man from the politically correct brigade, he ran out and said, he dad and me dad are prophesying in the camp. There's always politically correct people that leap out when God wants to do something good. Amen. Not here. A young man, Ella prophesied in the camp. And Joshua, shame on him, he said, he said, uh, Moses, stop them doing it. And I love Moses' reply. He said, listen, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets. And I wish that the Lord would put a spirit on all of them. And that's so prophetic because in Joel is an outpouring of the Spirit on all people. In Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament, the outpouring goes, but it begins here. There's that great thought. Two of them, oh, they had a heart for God. But somehow or other, they never got to the recognised theological place where the anointing was going to take place. I've got to be careful how I say this that perhaps they'd never done a DTS with Marine Rich. Perhaps they'd never got to Carey College. And all this teaching is good, don't misunderstand me. But for people who somehow or other haven't got the privilege, the position or held up with something, it's wonderful how God can just break into their lives where they are. And it doesn't have to be a theologically correct circumstance that God will touch those whose hearts are open to Him. We're going to sing a concluding song and then I'll pronounce a benediction.